Welcome to the Heart Kids podcast. Join us as we explore stories of Australians impacted by childhood heart conditions. I am one of your hosts, Samuel Stolberg. I was born with a congenital heart condition and I had my first open heart surgery at the age of 26. I am passionate about mental health and connecting with other people in the heart community and beyond. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that we are recording on the land of Gubby Gubby and Jinnabari peoples, otherwise known as Queensland's Sunshine Coast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and the land that you're listening in from today. We pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. My guest today is Associate Professor Rachel Cordina. Rachel is a cardiologist from Sydney with a special interest in Fontan and exercise physiology. Rachel's impressive research record includes award-winning projects. Her research is contributing to changing what we know about CHD and exercise and how exercise can be used to improve care and outcomes for people living with CHD. Welcome, Rachel, and thank you for joining us. Where are you joining us from today? Hey, Sam. Um, I'm in Newtown in Sydney, Australia. Beautiful. So thanks again for joining us. So to get things started, uh, some people have the perception that if you have CHD, then you should avoid exercise. Where do you think that comes from? That is a really good question. Uh, And I think a lot of that developed generations ago when people had the perception that doing any kind of physical activity put a strain on the heart. And then over time, that kind of evolved into physicians implying to parents that perhaps it was better that little Johnny sat on the sidelines and I think there's also just a general perception in the community about that kind of thing. And so um, so in some families, parents were also, even if the doctors hadn't said anything, just sort of thought that it was probably dangerous and best that their child didn't really exert themselves. And then I think in the last 10 years or a a little bit longer than that, we've recognised how harmful that's been on so many levels. I mean, first of all, as a child, having to sit out when all your friends are doing stuff, you know, that really scars you for life uh, and you just want to be normal like the other kids. That impacts your perception of your ability, your body image, your confidence. So that's been really very harmful and some people have just learnt to to hate sport from, from there and, you know, it's well recognised that the foundations for an active life are late in childhood it's pretty bloody hard to uh, if you've never participated in sport as an adult to suddenly start becoming active and integrate that as a as a habit in your day-to-day life so we're really now based on good evidence trying to undo that damage yeah most definitely I know uh, from personal experience that growing up uh, my mother was told that I need to be careful when I Uh, was doing exercise. Uh, So what are some of the benefits of exercise uh, when you have CHD? Yeah, so I touched on some of the, uh, some of them already in terms of helping build confidence in your body and your physical ability from, from early in life. Fitting in, not feeling different as a, as a child, I think is really, really important. Sometimes you might need to do things differently and there's a whole, you know, there's thousands of things that can happen in childhood that mean that a specific activity might not be the right thing for that kid. But on the whole, most kids can do most things. Uh, but the, the the benefits in terms of physical health are also increasingly recognised. So 
regular participation in sport is really important to maintain a healthy weight and having high weight can lead to problems later in adult life like diabetes, atherosclerosis that can lead to stroke and heart attack. But we also recognise that for more complex types of heart abnormalities that being obese has a really adverse impact on cardiovascular health and in the sickest type of people who we might even be working towards transplantation, we just can't transplant people who have severe obesity. And, you know, it's really awful when you're faced with that rare young person and, and you want to you wanna help them and that the last barrier to, you know, moving towards transplant is obesity. You know, that's just a complete tragedy in my mind. There's data to suggest that the more active you are, it actually reduces the chance of you getting sick and ending up in hospital. It's not a magic pill that's going to fix everything, but it helps you be your best physical you. And there's also really important mental health benefits as well. There's heaps of evidence to suggest that regular exercise is super important for mental health and it helps concentration in kids with attention issues uh, and behavioural issues. Exercise can also help improve their attention span. So very wide-ranging benefits. Yeah, I think it's, you know, even going outside of uh, congenital heart disease, I think this is a valuable lesson uh, across the board. But how how have you seen exercise change um, CHD patients' quality of life? Yeah, so I think that the most drastic changes I see are in people with the more complex types of heart abnormalities, probably because those people are also more vulnerable to becoming much more deconditioned. Uh, And there's particular situations such as people living with half a heart, which is a Fontan circulation, that actually having healthy big muscles in the body, especially the legs, help squeeze blood back up through the lungs into the heart. So it actually improves their circulation. And we see some really dramatic improvements in exercise capacity and physical health in people with those kind of really highly complex defects and they just feel so much better for it. It's amazing how uh, much the the body is intrinsically linked. Like, you know, I wouldn't have thought that my legs would have played an important role with uh, how my heart pumps. So it's amazing. It's really amazing. Even in people with two pumping chambers, even in people with an entirely normal heart, if you go from standing to lying down, your heart pumping output increases by about 20% because of all the blood returning from your lower body and your leg muscles being pushed up into the into the um, heart chambers. So it's really, the body is just incredible and everything is interlinked and you can't separate one thing from the other. That's so fascinating. So we've spoken a bit about why we should all exercise. Now I wanted to ask you about how we get started. Firstly, yep. what are the different types of exercise? Great. So I guess the first thing uh, that I I would like to mention is that there are some safety considerations and I think everybody's a little bit different. So there's no hard and fast rules. Just because you have tetralogy of fallow or a Fontan circulation or repair transposition, that doesn't mean that you all will meet the same guidelines for what we would prescribe. Everybody's a little bit different. So uh, what your current skills are and level of fitness is important, Uh, whether you have weakening of the heart muscle, what we call ventricular dysfunction, if you've had some rhythm abnormalities, how your valves function, 
all those kind of things feed into what levels of intensity are the optimal levels for, for someone to exercise. So I think it's really important. The first thing is to work out with your physician or some physicians aren't necessarily as comfortable and expert in that area. So they might enlist somebody else who is like an exercise physiologist to help work out what the best things are. Um, now, if you're just planning to do general light to moderate exercise or walking and things, it's not not so relevant. But if you're planning to get into the gym and start with weights and stuff like that, then or even you know playing single squash and things like that, there's some levels of intensity that might not be the best way for some people to train. So the first way to start is working out what what's your optimal level of training and I wouldn't if you just wander into your local gym if the fitness trainer is not going to have a clue that they're not going to be expert they're not going to have your history so you really need to start by going to talk to your cardiologist or at least getting you know your diagnosis list so you can go to someone who's trained in this kind of stuff like an exercise physiologist that, that can give you some guidelines if you're in the more complex categories of congenital heart disease. But for a lot of people, you, you'll just go and ask your cardiologist and they'll say, you're under no restrictions, you can do whatever you want. So, you know, everyone's a little bit different. In terms of starting out, do you, do you mean how would you start sort of training yourself or what? Give me an example of what you were thinking. I, I think it like, you know, because a, a lot of people, especially for parents, I guess, like, you know, if yeah. their children are going through this, uh, it would be challenging for them to be able to to work out, you know, because the yeah. basis or common knowledge has been that we shouldn't be exercising. Yeah. Um, so, yes. and obviously we want to abolish that that thought. Uh, so, yeah. I guess you, you've sort of explained it in, in your last answer is, you know, you sort of probably check with, you know, your health professionals, you know, the, the people that know you best, um, but then also being able to um, go, go and talk to an exercise physiologist or something like yeah. that with your list of, you know, your, your heart conditions, I guess. Yeah, so I don't want to give the message that everybody needs to go and see an exercise professional either. And for most families, so kids and, and older teens and adults are quite different. So for kids, I guess I'd first of all just want to say to my cardiologist, can you do whatever or she do whatever he or she wants at school or are there any activities that you'd like us to be a bit cautious with? And the most important thing for kids is that they're playing games and enjoying and, and group sport. Like a kid is not going to want to like do boring repetitions like an adult might do in the gym or whatever. And the other super important thing for families is that what the whole family is doing is what that kid's going to do. Like I can't tell you how many times I'll be sitting with a patient and their mum and that they're both really, really overweight and I'm saying to my patient, you know, it's really, I really want you to be doing at least 45 minutes a day, a week of exercise and the mum's there. Like I know, I tell him, I tell him and then, you know, <laughs> The mum's not doing the exercise either. You know, it's the same. We tell, whether you have congenital heart disease or not, most people should be doing, you know, at least 45 minutes a day of moderate to vigorous physical activity. It's not magic that just because you have congenital heart disease, you should be doing that. So for families, the message is be active as a family. Encourage your kid to participate in as many things as, as they can. Sometimes their ability will be, you know, it might be hard for them to be running around playing a full game of soccer, but they might be a great goalie 
um, or they might love martial arts instead or something that they're not having to do so much running around, but finding the things they love and just encourage them to be as active as they can. Then adults, we can get a bit more scientific about it if they want to go see an exercise trainer or an exercise physiologist and and get a proper, you know, gym training program and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I th- you answered my next question for me as well. I was going to ask how much exercise <laughs> should we be aiming for, but 45 minutes a day, yeah, you know, it was a perfect segue. <laughs> it's actually up over an hour a day and, you know, right. taking into account running around and playing playing at lunchtimes at school and sports. But, I mean, most of us, you know, if you really think about it, are probably not meeting our physical activity requirements. No, definitely not. I uh, I pull myself down on, on the average there. So um, so on reflection, uh, I think one of the key takeaways here is that when it comes to exercise, each of us, with the help of our healthcare team, of course, uh, can find um, the why and the how that should work for us. Um, so like, you know, for, for, for me, for example, growing up, playing rugby league was a huge part of my life. And uh, we were told that, you know, my mother was told that that's not what I was technically supposed to be doing. But yeah. Um, as you said, it was important for, for my socializing, um, but then also my, my physical and mental health again, like, you know, the, the exact same things that you said. Um, so it's, it's super important for us to be able to, to get out, get exercise, get into the sun. And well, how did you handle that, Sam? So did you, did you just muck in any way or? Um, I, I was, uh, I guess, uh, a rule breaker, uh, I should say, yeah. you know, to, to put it politely as, as uh, growing up, you know, you know, we, we like to push the boundaries a little bit, but, um, you know, we worked with, with our GP and, uh, you know, spoke with them and, you know, that was, we could see how important it was to my own development. Yeah. So we just, um, obviously were, were mindful of the fact that, that I had a heart condition. Um, but then, yeah, we just, just let me go. But then, yeah, when, when I was a bit older, I had to, um, sort of slow down a little bit because it got a little bit more serious. But again, yeah. that was just working with my healthcare team and um, we, we monitor that. And it's important to feel comfortable to ask what are they worried about? Like what are the risks? So, for example, if it, it, as you said, like if a, a little kid wants to play rugby and it, it depends how physical the game is and sometimes people are on blood thinners like warfarin or some of the newer very strong blood thinners and so... There's a risk, you know, in, with big guys in a scrum that you could get crushed and bleed. Or, you know, is it just that they thought it might be too much physical exertion? But, you know, in understanding what the actual concerns are so that you can weigh it up is super important. And you're perfectly entitled to ask questions and challenge. You know, we're not in the 1950s anymore. And it's, you know, I, I, I think that was obviously super important for you and your family and it's probably was it a good decision that they made at the time but it's important to weigh up what the risks are and yeah most definitely um so we have plenty of parents uh, of heart kids listening when is the best time for someone with chd to start exercising as soon as they can walk pretty yeah. simple so pretty as, simple. as early as early as as they can just be starting an active life and whatever their ability, you know, working within what the, the ability is and being as active as possible. That's a, a very fair statement. Uh, so I know some people are, are concerned about making sure that they're exercising safely. Uh, what are some advice that you could give uh, around sa- safely exercising? Yeah, so there's two ways that we 
uh, judge how hard someone's working when they exercise. So particularly for adults who like smartwatches and stuff, we can sometimes use heart rate to guide how hard someone's working because the harder you're working, the higher your heart rate is. Now, it's important to keep in mind when with congenital heart disease, for most people, that, that formula that you might have heard in the gym and things about that your peak heart rate should be 220 minus age, that's completely useless in, in the setting of congenital heart disease. So everyone's got a different peak heart rate and we work that out from an exercise test. So if we want to get really scientific, we can give heart rate ranges for you to train at to know how hard. So for people with really complex conditions and who might be recovering from surgery or are working towards transplant that we might just want them to be doing low intensity exercises, then we can, the heart rate range will be in the lower end, not up, not up near peak. But if someone's doing high intensity exercise, it'll be up near that peak heart rate. So we can use heart rates to guide if we want to get really scientific or someone's really techie and likes doing it that way. But really simple things are moderate moderate to vigorous exercise. If you're puffed but could finish a sentence, uh, so if you, you know, you might say, hey, Sam, what are you doing on the weekend while you're exercising? That's kind of moderate to getting up a little bit towards vigorous. That's a good training level for most people. But if you can't finish that sentence, that's getting up in high-intensity exercise and you'd want to be cleared and be completely unrestricted to be doing. Or, or the other test in turn, instead of finishing a sentence is can you sing a song? If you can very badly puff out a song, that's kind of good moderate intensity exercise training zone. So, But for little kids, you've just... Most little kids will moderate themselves. Some won't. Some will keep running around till they stop and vomit. But, um, you know, most little kids will kind of self-moderate and sit down if they're getting puffed out. And it's much harder with little ones to be really setting those kind of intensity guidelines. I, uh, I love the techie stuff. And, and for the sake of the people around me, I won't use the, uh, the singing uh, method to, to gauge how <laughs> exhausted I am. <laughs> You'd definitely be good at the talking test, I reckon. Oh, for sure. Yeah, talk underwater. <laughs> so, uh, but part of the hesitation for some people might uh, be not really understanding what's involved when you start talking to your cardiologist about exercising. Can you tell us what some of those first appointments might look like? Yeah. So, the key questions that I would ask are: Do you have any concerns about about me? participating in it in any sports or exercise training program and are there any restrictions you would place on me and if they say yes you're you I think it's important that you ask why so that you you understand you know is it just are you getting the vibe that the person's just being nervous for you or is this based on particular concerns about heart rhythm or or dropping your blood pressure when you exercise or something like that if if you aren't getting enough specifics, the other thing you could ask is would would it be a you know would you be agreeable to writing me a referral or giving me some information to take to an exercise physiologist? Because in cardiology land, we're not trained in exercise. It's really not something that most doctors know heaps about, and they know about safety and they know about trying to protect you, but they don't know a lot about exercise training and increasing workloads. The people that do that kind of thing are usually exercise scientists or exercise physiologists. In Australia, 
you can actually get a chronic care plan from your GP so you'll get some Medicare rebated sessions for free with someone like an exercise physiologist if you do want to get like a formal exercise prescription. And once an exercise physiologist understands what your diagnosis is, understands what your heart function is with a letter from your cardiologist, they'll be able to prescribe you. And we've we've um, set out there's some really nice publications and guidelines we've published for exercise physiologists to be able to go to so they can go to those resources, look up what your defect is and understand how to prescribe exercise safely in congenital heart abnormalities. That's uh, amazing advice. Thank you so much. So can you tell us now a bit about the research that you're uh, currently running into CHD and exercise at the moment? So very exciting. So we um, were awarded uh, over $3 million to run an exercise trial in the setting of congenital heart disease. It's actually, we think, the largest ever grant given for an exercise research project. So we're really lucky in congenital heart world that we got this opportunity. So we are planning to start recruiting from Jan or Feb people with more complex types of congenital heart disease and where uh, there's different types of training depending on your age and what type of heart abnormality you have. But kids will be training in little groups, so we'll be recruiting kids in local areas so that you can all come and train together and we'll also be educating families at the same time. Uh, and then in older older kids uh, and like teenage, older teens and adults, we'll be either training them in fitness first gyms, everyone gets a free gym membership, or else they get tele-training via the internet as well as their fitness first membership. Uh, and and we're sort of studying the impact of how the exercise helps heart function, exercise capacity, quality of life, helps us to understand how to design our projects so that we could run this for anybody that wants to do it. So it's really exciting. So watch out for that. I think there'll be advertisements coming up on the Heart Kids Facebook page and things when we're looking to start recruiting. That sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, so I think that comes about to the end of it. I want to say thank you so much for joining us. You've given me the motivation to go out and uh, enjoy the sunlight and go and do some exercise. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you so much for the invitation, Sam. It's an honour to be up. Thank you very much. If this episode has brought up anything for you or you need some advice or guidance on your CHD journey, you can call the Heart Kids Helpline on one 432 785 to access more information as well as find out more about the support HeartKids offers, visit the website at heartkids.org.au. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice from your doctor or healthcare team. Always talk to your doctor about matters that affect yours or your family's health.